0: 2 Peter chapter 2, it's going to take us three weeks to go through 2 Peter 2, but it is really just one theme, it is really Peter focusing on how to recognize false teachers. So what we're going to be doing is each week we're going to read through the whole chapter just to make sure that we stay in context, and then we'll handle a different aspect of the chapter each week. So in this chapter, Peter is going to talk about three things that he wants us to recognize about false teachers. He's going to talk about their methods, the kinds of things they do, what, what's the methodology of someone who's a false teacher. He's going to talk about their character, what actually comes out of their life, what kind of lifestyle that they, do they have, do they keep. And he's going to talk about their end, what, what do they have to look forward to, what, what kind of judgment are they going to have when they face God one day. And the interesting thing about this is that these things are all interwoven in the chapter so that He kind of doesn't necessarily fit a pattern. He'll talk a bit about their method, then He'll talk about their, uh, th- their end, then He'll talk about their character, then He'll talk about their end, then He'll talk about their method, then He'll talk about their character, then will talk about their end. They're kind of all interwoven. And that's, that's like that, I think, on purpose because that's exactly how it is in real life. One of the things that that we will find, one of the things that I've observed in churches is that when a church begins to take on the methodology of false teachers, to do the things that they do, it's not too long before they take on the character of false teachers. When a church or or a person ignores the end, what God says is going to happen to false teachers, it's, it's not too long before they begin to embrace the methodology of the false teachers. There's a kind of an interconnectedness to these three things. And so it makes sense that when Peter would talk about these things, they would be all interwoven. It would go kind of back and forth between these things. But also because we want to make sure you understand these things, that you see these things clearly. We don't want you to take these things and make them to be more than they are, but we also don't want you to take these things and make them to be less than they are. We're going to deal with each one a week at a time. So that this week we're going to look at The methods of false teachers. Now, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. And Here's the first method. I'm going to give you three things, three main things about the methods of false teachers. And what we have for you this week for the first time, hopefully this is going to be our habit, is in your bulletin there's a little A5 bit of notes. We did that because I know I talk a lot and it's hard to keep up, so hopefully that will help you keep up. The first thing we want to talk about today as far as the method of false teachers is that they misrepresent God's authority. Look at verse 1. Peter writes, but there were also false teachers among the people, speaking of the nation of Israel, even as there will be false teachers among you. Now, remember from last week in the last part of chapter 1, we saw how Peter was, was talking about the, what the Word of God is, and the fact that it is the, the trustworthy, prophetic Word, it's what, what God has spoken, it's not open for private interpretation, God had one desire, one message He wanted to communicate from that. We, we can't just interpret it the way we want to, we want to say, what is God wanting to say to us through this? We talked about how it's written by eyewitnesses, it's written as a reminder, it's written as God's authority. Now, he's talking in, in the context of 1 Peter of, of course, the Old Testament Scriptures. Those would have been the Scriptures that he would have taught from, that he would have encouraged the people to be familiar with. The New Testament, of course, was still being written when he wrote this. And so, in talking about the Scriptures, he's saying, listen, even when there was these, in the Old Testament times when God was sending true prophets, there were at the same time false prophets, And one of the things that we see in the Old Testament about false prophets, those who would would come to speak, they would say, just like the true prophets, hey, we're here speaking in the name of God. They say they come from God. There's no difference between a false prophet and a true prophet. In that sense, they both claim to come from God. And the same with false teachers today. They both come to teach in the name of Jesus. Hey, we come to tell you about who Jesus is. We've come to tell you in the name of God and the authority of God who Jesus is. This is why we have the strong warning that John writes in 1 John. Listen to this. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. John writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets Have gone into the world. Test the spirits. He's he's referring to what's the source that the prophet is speaking from. Where are they actually coming from? Test that. Why do we do that? Well, listen to this. We read this last week. It's good to repeat it. Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Paul says, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Actually, it's only verse 8 there. In other words, Paul's saying, it's what we've, what's been revealed to us and through us, not us ourselves that are the authority. So even if we say, hey, we're still speaking from God, and then we contradict the gospel that you've already received, let us be damned is what he's saying. Let us be accursed. So how do we test the spirits? We test first and foremost according to the gospel. If someone is preaching a gospel that is not about that, we are, that it is not that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that's a false gospel. If someone's saying, oh, you're saved by faith in Jesus and by doing all these good works, it's a false gospel. If someone is saying, you're saved by faith in Jesus, but you can do whatever you want, you don't have to repent, that's a false gospel. But when someone is saying, hey, we believe that it's God's grace who draws us to Jesus, saves us because of Jesus, and changes us by the power of Jesus, that's the true gospel. So we measure it by the gospel. But also, listen, Paul talks about, or I'm sorry, Luke writes about in Acts chapter 17, a group of people that he declares to be noble. Listen to this, Acts 17, 11. These, speaking of, these are the Bereans, the people that uh, were in the city of Berea. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. In that, they received the Word with all readiness, and, notice, they searched the Scripture daily, to find out whether these things were so. Now I'm not going to ask you how many guys took up the challenge last week to uh, uh, spend a, a, like at least a, a one, one, one part uh, reading the Bible for every five parts you watched TV or were in social media. I won't embarrass you by asking you how many guys did it. I, of course, did it. But I would embarrass you to ask you if you've done it. <laughs> to be honest, the only reason it was easy for me to do it is because I was at a conference. There was no TV and social media, so it was really easy for me, to be honest. But we did that on purpose. We we really want you guys to understand that we want you to be saturated in what the Scripture says. We want you to be familiar with what the Scripture says, what it says. These Bereans, these people, it's interesting too that that Luke compares them to the Thessalonians because the believers in Thessalonica, when Paul went to Thessalonica and preached the gospel, he says of them, they received his words as if they were, as they were, the very words of God. And so they were honorable people, but the Bereans were even better. The Bereans received, they had to say, yeah, we want to hear, what, what does God say? What is the good news about Jesus? But they went back to the Scriptures to go, okay, let's make sure this guy's accurate. That's what we want you to do. We're encouraging you to get into the Word so that you can know if what we tell you is true or not. It used to be back in the day that when they wanted bank tellers, bank workers, to be familiar with counterfeits, what they would do is not allow them to touch counterfeits. They would just spend hours upon hours touching, feeling, smelling, looking uh, you know, at different angles and different lights, the real thing, so that eventually when they touch the counterfeit they go, something's not right here. We want you to be so saturated with the truth of Scripture that you know when we get it wrong, as well as anybody else gets it wrong. Now, these false teachers, they will come in the name of of God, and just because they came in the name of Jesus, just because they say they believe in Jesus, doesn't mean we should believe what they say. Just because I come to you in the name of Jesus, doesn't mean you should believe what I say. That's why we say, open your Bibles. That's why we want you to have your Bibles open when we teach you, so you can say, is this accurate? Does this fit in this context? He speaks of these, verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, "...who will secretly bring in," notice, "...destructive heresies." You might want to underline that word destructive. "...even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift," notice, "...destruction." You might want to underline that word. "...and many will follow," notice again, "...their destructive ways." Now, these false teachers, they're misrepresenting God's authority. They're doing so even though they're speaking in His name. But also, what they end up doing is they end up undermining the authority of Jesus... This is one of the ways they misrepresent the, the, uh, the God's authority is they, they tend to undermine the authority of Jesus. Often what happens with false teachers, especially nowadays, they will exalt Jesus to the point that it allows them to exalt themselves. And so like what he says about these guys specifically is that they will even deny the Lord, notice, who bought them or purchased them or redeemed them. In other words, what Peter's saying is, listen, they reject both the mode of redemption and the result of redemption. Let me give you some verses to explain. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You were bought at a price. By what price did God purchase you? Now, before we talk about that, I'm sure you can guess, it's already on the screen, but before we talk about that, I know that some of you are probably feeling a bit uncomfortable with this idea of being purchased. Purchased? I'm a free man. No one owns me. I am the epitome of autonomy. I'm a Western man. I do what I want to do. (laughs) We don't like this idea of slavery, but the Scripture is very clear. Listen, Jesus Himself said... He who has sinned is a slave to sin. The Bible says, to whom we present our members, our bodies, our lives to, to that one we are a slave to. The reality is we're either a slave to sin or we're a slave to Christ. The reality is not whether or not we're going to be slaves. The issue is, are we going to have a good master? And so what he says here, listen, is that we've been bought, literally redeemed, bought back. We were in bondage. We were like... Like the the hideous slave trade that happened here in, in, in this country and in our country for years, where people were stolen, which still happens today. Sex slaves are stolen from other countries and sold for something, but then they can be redeemed. There's something of greater value that gets them out of that life and puts them where they're supposed to be. That's the idea of being bought. We've been bought at a price. Here's the price. Listen, Acts 20, 28 says... It's where Paul tells uh, a group of elders to shepherd the church of God. And here's how the church of God is described, which he purchased with his own blood. That's how valuable God's people are to him. He bought them back with his own blood. You see, false teachers want to avoid this. It was a trend in the early 80s, a trend that continues to the day, where it's, it's to, to change songs and to change preaching so that the blood of Christ wasn't mentioned because it's offensive. I mean, think about it. I mean, if you, 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 most of you guys have been around church enough to, to not be kind of weirded out by the idea of blood. But if you're like me who didn't grow up in the church, people start talking about the blood covers you. You're thinking like the movie Carrie or something. Yeah, Blood covering me, it sounds horrible. And say so that oh, we don't want to offend them, so let's not talk about that. But here's the reality, that's the only way we can be cleansed, is by the blood of Jesus. That's what was the price of our redemption, is the blood of Jesus. So we don't ignore it. We glory in it. But also, listen, He didn't just buy us back. He didn't just purchase us for His own so that we could do whatever we wanted. He did so, so He could change us so we could learn to walk under the goodness of his lordship. This is why Jesus challenges those who would think they could call him Lord, but not treat him as such. He says, Jesus himself said Luke 6.46, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Jesus is Lord, so do you obey him? Well, I don't want to feel like it. That sounds more like your Lord then. Now, false teachers, what they do is they undermine the authority of Jesus. They reject both the mode, his spilt blood, and the results, his lordship over us of his atonement. So they bring in these things, and here's the, here's the scary thing as well. In doing so, listen, when false teachers do this, they condemn both themselves and those who believe them. The Bible says this in 2 Timothy, Paul writes, but evil men and imposters, notice that phrase, imposter, fake, not real, will grow worse and worse, both deceiving and being deceived. One of the things about a lot of the false prophets or false teachers that have kind of crept up in the body of Christ over the years is that they started off okay. They started off as far as their message goes, they seem to be Okay. But as they get deceived about things, they spread on that deception, and the more they get, the more it results they get from their deception. The more they get deceived, and it's this ugly pattern. In fact, it's important. I had you underline this word "destructive" next to heresy in verse in verse one, and also where it says "swift destruction" in verse one, and of course in verse two, where it says, "many will follow their destructive ways." In other words, just because someone has a big following doesn't mean they're not false. And that word destructive, each time it's the same word, and it's a word where we would translate damnation. Now, this is important, okay? I, I, I don't like to sound harsh like this, but I want to be very, very clear. What Peter is saying is that there are things you, be, you can be taught in the name of Jesus that actually damn you, that actually keep you from being saved. That's pretty serious, isn't it? Now, can you see why God in his love as a good shepherd, as the good shepherd, why Christ would say, I'm warning you about this, and why Peter, as an under-shepherd to him, would say, listen, I want to warn you about this stuff. You need to be able to recognize these kooks when they come out. See, we think we know them, but it's amazing how you can listen to a guy, and he seems to be pretty good, and but he actually is leading us down the primrose path. In fact, another thing that it says about them as far as misrepresenting the authority of God, because they often discourage people not to walk in the lordship of Christ, to think that's like an option, here's what happens in verse two. It says, because of whom, that's these, the whom is those who are following their destructive ways, because of whom, notice, the way of truth will be blasphemed. In other words, These false teachers, in misrepresenting God's authority, they actually produce followers who discredit the gospel. How many of you have met someone who'd said, yeah, Christians, you got, Christians are all, what's the word? Why? Because often what can happen is we can name the name of Jesus and non-Christians get it. People who aren't Christians get it. Okay, if he's God, he should do what he says. But you say he's God, and you do whatever you want. You do the same things I do. It's not my God; he's your God. Paul talks about this. In fact, I'm going to read from you from. Uh, it'll be on the screen from the New Living Translation. I like the way this paraphrases Romans chapter two. Listen, it's where Paul would say, "You say it is wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery?" You condemn idolatry, but do you use items stolen from pagan temples? You're so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scripture says that Gentiles blast in the name of God because of you. You see, Paul's not here, I'm sorry, Peter's not here talking about perfectionism, that those who follow Jesus are never going to sin. We sin every day. We fall into sin, but we practice repentance, not the other way around. A false teacher would say, you know, maybe if it's a real serious thing, or maybe if God tends to be wanting to move, we can fall into repentance. But they don't say anything if you practice sin. No, that's not, that's just not what God saved us to. God has saved us away from sin. Don't you know when the same context that Jesus talked about, he who, is a slave to, he who sins is a slave to sin, and that same context Jesus said, but he whom the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. You don't have to be a slave to your selfishness. You're going to be perfect, but you're going to progress. God's going to change you. And a true teacher is going to teach that. He's not going to teach you something false. So this is the first thing, the first method of false teachers. They misrepresent God's authority. Here's the second thing. Look at verse 3. Second thing. They're motivated by their own gain. Peter says, here's what they'll do. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. The the idea here is that um, they're going to use the fact that you are covetous to fulfill their own covetousness. In other words, they're, they're, by covetousness, they're going to, they know that, that we as human people, as we as our human nature, we covet. We want what we don't have. We're slow to be content with what we have. I mean, come on, let's be honest. That's the way it works, isn't it? You, 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 you know, you maybe save some money and, you, and you, you, you buy a nice new outfit and you think, oh, yes, and you put it on and you go, oh, this is great. You know what, if I got those other pair of shoes, it would kind of, I could mix and match and you just want a little bit more. You go out to a meal and you order something nice and you're like, oh, this is really good. Then you look at your spouse and you're going, Oh, I wish I would have, I I have order that as well. And maybe steal a bite if you're mean. I mean, this is what we do. We covet. We see and we, oh, I want that. And this is how we are humanly. This is, this is what we struggle with, right? Even as believers, we struggle with this. False teachers use that, the fact that you're covetous, so that they can get from you and gain because they're covetous. Now, I mean, come on. Is, is it a big, is it really that hard to connect the dots between what I just said there, what this says here, and what you see on the God channel? It's not, is it? Just boom. Isn't this what we see? It's all, all this prosperity rubbish. And they say things like, you know what? You know, God wants you to be wealthy, God wants to bless you. If you will just send us, you know, $100, we, God will bless you tenfold, you'll get a 1000 Well, why don't they send all their money out and then see how rich they get? Amen. Because they're covetous, and guess what? They know we're covetous. So we hear that and we go, I want to be blessed. Okay, here we go. And that's how they get the, to give. I'll tell you, it's what, I, so I, I, I'm tempted to do this. i got to confess. If I could get away with it, if I was in a church that w- didn't have a bit of discernment, who wouldn't chuck me out on my... Keister, if I do this, I, I, I'd be tempted to do this because sometimes I think, God, I just want to see this thing take place. If we could just get the money for this building, it'd be fine. So, how about if I preach that seed faith stuff? That, hey, you know what? You want to be rich, you can be rich. If you help us get rich, and then we'll have all that God wants and hey, it'll work out for both of us. Rich. But it would be false. In fact, it would be a direct opposite of what Both Peter and Paul said are what good shepherds are supposed to do. Peter said this in 1 Peter, listen, he told the elders that he writes to, he says 1 Peter 5, 2, shepherd the flock which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly, and notice, not for dishonest gain but eagerly. Not for dishonest gain. Interesting that the the Scripture Paul in 1 Timothy has to kind of spell out for both deacons and, and elders or pastors, he has to spell out to them, that they should not be greedy for gain. Paul recognized, Peter recognized that when you're in a position of spiritual authority, that you could manipulate people. And you've got to guard your heart against any, any appearance of that whatsoever. The false teachers don't guard, they go for it. Because they're greedy for gain. It's one of the things that characterizes them. In fact, if you jump over to verse 15, Peter here gives an example of that. He highlights, as does the book of Jude, this guy Balaam, this prophet from the Old Testament, Balaam. Look at verse 15. He's speaking of these false teachers. He says, They have forsaken the right way and gone astray and followed the way of Balaam, the son of Baor. Now, if you don't know the story, I really encourage you to this week look up Numbers chapter 22 through chapter 24, Numbers 22 to 24, and read the whole story in its context. What's interesting about this is Peter says plainly that, that Balaam has forsaken the right, ra- that these guys have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam. In other words, Balaam had forsaken the right way as well and gone astray. But what's interesting, if you read about Balaam, you, you'll find that he, he had a tendency to do some things that were Well, they weren't that bad. In fact, check this out. It'll be on the screen. Listen to this, Numbers chapter 22. It would appear for Numbers 22 that he was submitted to God. Listen. It says, then Balaam answered and he said to the servants of Balak, Balak was the king of Moab who was hiring Balaam to curse God's people. He said to him, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Later on in the same chapter, he says, And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, Oh, I have sinned when he was caught blowing. I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. And I'll tell you, if you read the whole chapter, when you read the whole section, you will see Balaam seeming to believe in the God of Israel, seeming to, he, he does actually gently prophesy good things in the name of God. And yet... Peter makes it clear. Jude makes it clear he was a false prophet. How? Well, what does he say in verse 15? He says, they've gone to, uh, who, what, he, what, have, what have they done? Okay, what did Balaam do? What have they done? Who loved, notice, the wages of unrighteousness. He appears to be submitted to God, yet he's willing to sell out God's people for money. In fact, if you go to numbers 31, you can look it up later. It's on the screen. Moses is speaking and says, "Look, uh, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor, and there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord." What Moses is referring there to is a situation that is in numbers 24 after Balaam cannot curse God's people, God won't let him. God won't let him curse his people. So what Balaam finally does, according to this verse in Numbers 31, is he gives the advice of, look, okay, I can't curse, but I'll tell you what, if you send all those Moab hotties down there, those guys will sleep with the Moab hotties and God will be ticked off and God will do the judging for you. Just hook them up and you'll see what, you'll see them fall. That was his counsel. Why did he do it? Money. Money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's interesting because what he says here in verse 16, he describes a situation in the middle of that story, in the middle of chapter 22 of Numbers, of when Balaam's on his donkey on the way to go curse God's people for the Moabites, and his donkey won't go forward, so he starts beating the donkey. Come on, a donkey won't go forward, smashes his leg against the wall. He's beating the donkey some more. The donkey starts to talk. What are you doing? Why do you keep hitting me? I'm a good donkey. <laughs> Balaamak's not surprised, talks back to the donkey. But eventually what happens is God opens his eyes and he sees that there was the angel of the Lord about to slay him. In fact, this is what it says, Numbers 22, 32, and 33. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, if your donkey had not turned aside from me, surely I would have also have killed you by now and let her live. Now, I bring this up, I'm pointing this out because when you read it in your context, you will, you will ask yourself, you, when you read it in its context, Numbers 22, 23, and 24, you'll go, so was Balaam a good guy or a bad guy? And you don't know until you go to the New Testament and see he was a bad guy. He was one of these who was motivated by his own gain and sold out God's people for it, even though he prophesied true things, even though he claimed to be a follower of the God of Israel. I want to be really clear about something. Peter, who's writing these things, warning about the methods of false teachers, wanting these people to understand how they are greedy for gain, how they are motivated by their own gain, Peter received money to do ministry. The Bible's really clear about that. Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians 9, because Paul didn't receive much money, or he he would receive support from other churches so he could could minister to the church that he was at. So he... Uh, received money from the Macedonians so he could minister to the Corinthians, that kind of a thing. And so sometimes people can get this mindset that, well, that means that if you take money for ministry, you're one of these greedy for gain. That's not true. Peter received money for ministry. Nothing wrong. It's right. In fact, the Bible's really clear. Paul commands, in fact, that the the, the, the elders or the pastors uh, are worthy of double honor. That means the honor of, hey, respect them and the honor of pay them especially those who labor in word and doctrine. We're not talking about that ministers shouldn't get paid. We're talking about ministers shouldn't be motivated, pastors and leaders shouldn't be motivated by gain. In fact, when they're motivated by gain, you know what ends up happening? They get manipulated by people who have money. We've seen this happen a lot. We're going to see this happen in the book of Acts. you ever heard of the... Anybody here heard the term simony or simony? Anyone? Will, of course, a couple of you guys. Yeah. It, it, it comes from this idea of this guy, Simon the Sorcerer, in, in, uh, in the book of Acts, who when he saw the apostles uh, preach the gospel, people get saved, they lay hands, they get full with the Spirit. He goes, ooh, give me that power. Here's some money. I'll buy that power. His name is Simon. There goes the idea of simony or simony. And that's happened throughout church history where people paid for positions of power, or people who had money manipulated people in those positions. You can see why God says don't be grieved for gain. You understand? Does that mean I have to, that as a pastor I have to take a vow of poverty? No. But it means I have to guard my heart. And it means I need to be above board. We won't get into today how, you would, how we would kind of decide what a pastor should get paid. We won't get into that today. But I just really want to be clear, okay? We're talking about people who are motivated by gain, where everything is about getting more, manipulating people to get more. So that's the second thing. First thing was they misrepresent God's authority. The second thing is they're motivated by their own gain. Here's a third and final thing for today. They offer a false freedom. They offer a false freedom. Look at verse 18. When they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. Now, this phrase, "they speak great uh, swelling words of emptiness," it's this idea that they are bragging about themselves; they're exalting themselves; they're blowhards. Oh, look at me! I'm wonderful. They set themselves as the standard. I'm not talking about in a healthy sense, like when Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, we're called as leaders to be examples, no doubt. I'm talking about they they, they put themselves, they emphasize their own accomplishments. Why? Because they want people to follow them. Look what it says in the book of Acts. Paul talks about such people. He warns again, these elders, about such people being coming, coming in their midst. He says, and from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things for this reason, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Can I just be super clear? You do not need John Brown or Adam Maggio or Servants Church. You need Jesus. And if this church isn't doing it for you, if you don't feel like you're you're growing in your walk with Jesus here, find a church where you can grow because you don't need us, you need to grow in Him. But what happens so often is churches fall into this methodology of false teachers of it's about us. Look what we're doing. Look what we've accomplished. Become a part of us. Nothing wrong with calling people to commit to the local church. That's biblical. It's good and healthy. But it's not about us, it's about his kingdom, it's about him. That's why Paul said plainly in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. We just want to help you follow Jesus, man. We just want to help you follow Jesus, not us, him. False teachers want you to follow them. He talks about how they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness. Interesting. This is, a, like, uh, this is kind of having the idea that they're luring in vulnerable people. People who would probably be immature or new believers. In fact, that's probably what's meant by that phrase. Uh, those ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. In other words, those who have kind of pulled away from worldliness. Maybe they've now become part of these congregations but they're still immature. Maybe they're not even saved yet, so they're really quite vulnerable. That's who false teachers pray after, P-R-E-Y after. Those who are vulnerable. This is why Paul has to be blunt about things, like when he writes to the Corinthian church, the Corinthian church, he was falling short of no, no gift. They were moving in the power of the Spirit. They knew God. They worshiped God, but they were completely divided and carnal. So bad they were that Paul had to say, listen, it's not good that you have a guy in your church who is having sex with his mother-in-law. That's a bad thing. That had to be spelled out to them. That's how bad it was. So Paul spells this out to them. Listen, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, that's someone who has sex before they're married, nor idolaters, that's someone who worships something other than God, nor adulterers, that's someone who has sex with someone who they're not married to but is married, nor homosexuals, someone who has sex with the same gender as them, no sodomites, I'm not going to explain it, no thieves, nor covetous. Funny how we can go, oh, some of those other things are kind of bad, but... Oh, well, we all covet. Nor drunkards. Nor revilers. It's people who slander other people. Nor extortioners. That would be cell phone sellers. Mobile phones. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. If you sell mobile phones, you're not an extortioner. It just feels that way sometimes. <laughs> they will not inherit the kingdom of God. But notice what he says. Listen and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Do you see what Paul's saying? Paul's saying, listen, if you sin in these ways, that by itself doesn't disqualify you. God is able to save the, to the uttermost anyone who will come to him. But listen, he saves you out of that stuff. So you can't keep walking that way. See, false teachers give a false freedom. Hey, God accepts you in Jesus. You don't have to do anything anymore. It doesn't matter what you do. You can do whatever you want. You can practice sin, and it's no big deal. Hey, you're in love. Have sex. That's what you do. It's natural. God created it. It doesn't matter if you're married or not. It's okay. That's not that big of a deal. You should probably move towards marriage, but it's not that big of a deal. No, it's a big deal. Hey, some people are, 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 you know, born with a, an attraction of the same gender. We shouldn't, you know, condemn these people to a loveless existence. Let them have partners. What's wrong with that? They believe in Jesus. No, you're condemning them if you do that. Hey, it's okay. We live in the West. We have a higher standard of living. Get whatever you think you need. No, it's covetousness. And he says, listen, it condemns us. But such were some of us. God changes us. It's not that simple to see how this works. Because it's not as if the day we become Christians that we sense everything is changed. You might sense that something great has changed, a burden lifted off of you, there's a new perspective. But you walk for an hour or two, or a day or two, or a week or two, and all of a sudden you kind of go, ah, oh, I thought I changed, but I'm, this is happening again, or I'm tempted with this thing. And it can be difficult because, as we've said many times, as you walk with God... And you think, okay, God, you are light. I'm going to walk in the light as you are in the light. What happens is light exposes, and you go, man, I thought I was saved, but even though I'm not doing that thing, I still find myself tempted to do this thing. And even though I'm kind of having been able to walk away from that temptation and this thing, I feel like I keep falling into that thing. And you can wonder, what's happened to me? And guess what? You can feel in that difficulty Man, I wish I could just know what it means to be free. And then here comes the false teachers of, hey, you're already free, man. Don't worry about what you do anymore. It's no big deal. You're putting, man, you're you're thinking too much about these things that don't really matter anymore. And all they're doing actually is pulling you back into bondage. I was a fornicator. I am still tempted with sex outside of marriage. I hope that doesn't shock you. It's a fact. It's why I have, you know, guidelines and guards up so I don't fall and make an idiot of myself and ruin all you guys as well. And though I'm not what I'm going to be, I'm not what I used to be. I was a fornicator. Now I'm a sinner saved by grace being changed by God. And so when someone says to me, it's no big deal if you're a fornicator, I say, oh, it's the biggest deal. Christ died, so I don't have to be that anymore. Do you understand what I'm saying? False teachers offer a false freedom. They prey upon immature believers who don't understand these things. But also, look at verse 19. We're almost done. It says, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption, for by whom a person is overcome, by him he is also brought into bondage. They encourage behavior that leads people into bondage. The movement that I got saved into, this movement, the Calvary Chapel Movement, was a movement that uh, was built uh, through, the, through the changed lives of a bunch of hippies. A bunch of drug addicts and people involved in all kinds of things like orgies and horrible behaviors and a generation of young people whom uh, were written off by the established church. People said, this, those guys are lost, man. They're never going to come to God. And even the founder of the movement, Pastor Chuck Smith, thought, man, dirty hippies, don't you take a bath and cut your hair and get a job? What's wrong with you people? Even he felt that way about them. But his wife said, man, they just need Jesus. So he began to pray for these hippies. And tons and tons of them got saved. Thousands and thousands of them got saved, radically saved. A lot of them became pastors. God did this radical thing. But because these guys had come out of drugs and drunkenness, there was this standard that said, look, if you're going to be in ministry, we don't want to stumble any of these people. So there should be absolutely no drinking. Obviously, no drugs. It's a no brainer. It's against a lot of drugs, but no drinking. So when I first went on staff at a church, that was the, the, the thing was like, okay, if you're going to be on staff, you're not allowed to drink at all. Teetotaler. Well, that was fine for me. I was already a teetotaler, so it wasn't a big deal. Then I moved to England. And I had already, I'll be honest, before I came here, I had already had the conviction that you don't have to be a teetotaler. I already had that conviction. My wife and I had enjoyed a drink on our own by ourselves when we got off staff from the church. We went out for dinner and had a drink and thought, yeah, we can do this. But there was still a part of me that was like, this is sort of a secret thing. You know, we don't really want to kind of talk about this too much. We came here, and, and almost every Christian I knew that I met here who was British drank. The first time I went out for a curry, my very first curry, which was amazing. You don't have good curry in America. Everyone's having a kingfisher. And I leaned over to the, the pastor of the church. I go, Is that allowed? Can we do this? He's like, Yeah, if you, if you want to. And it blew me away. Now, with that, it took me a while to where Sarah and I, thinking about it, talking about it, felt the freedom. Yeah. We can enjoy a drink, a glass of wine, a beer. But one of the things that worries me is how often, and I'm just picking on one issue right now, but how often I've met believers who because they know it's a freedom, they think that freedom means I can drink but not get drunk. Well, where's that line? Is the, is the not being drunk, not slurring, not stumbling, what is it? Is not being drunk mean that you are below the legal limit? I mean, where is it? Now, I still drink. I had a beer last night, full disclosure. i got no problem with it. But I'll tell you this. We need to be careful with these kinds of freedoms. Uh, I, I, I talk to uni students all the time, and when they, sometimes they'll talk to me about their relationships, and it's shocking how many young people who really seem to love the Lord think it's okay to be involved in sexual sin before they're married. It's like, okay, as soon as we're exclusive, then we can be physical. I understand that temptation, but when did it become okay to go down that road? I I get it. We live in the West. We're going to have a higher standard of living than, than people in other places. But when did we get to this place where we feel like we have to keep having more stuff? I'm so thankful that in this country the the culture is four to six weeks of holiday a year. I love that. Because, man, I've been working since I was 11 years old and the most I ever got was 10 days when I was in America. They work you like a dog there. But you know what we've realized? That God sets aside that time not just so I can feed my fat face or pursue my own pleasures, but there's extra time to seek Him, to serve Him, Folks, listen, he who the Son set free is free indeed. He has set us free, listen, that we might serve him. We might find our joy in him. We might recognize this is what he desires for us and from us. Peter said in 1 Peter, he said, live as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God, I am free. I don't have to be a slave to my sin. I don't have to be a slave to my selfishness. By the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I can say, Lord, I just want to serve you. It's amazing how true the Lord's words are. It's better to give than to receive. And I think, I need me time. No, I need God time. And, and to use that for his glory. I need this new thing. no. I need to say, God, what new thing are you wanting to do? Fresh thing, I should say, because God doesn't really do anything new, fresh. What do you want me to invest in? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, he's he's using this phrase, all things are lawful, which was kind of a common phrase, kind of a catchphrase among the Corinthians. So he's quoting it, all things are lawful, but he says, notice, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful, he says, for me, But I will not be brought under the power of any. Now, here's here's the thing. Let's get practical. Here's how you know if it's a false freedom or a true freedom. Here's a practical thing you can do. Let's talk, let's talk a freedom issue. Let's talk a practical thing, drinking. How do you know you're actually free to drink at all? Here's a good way to try: don't do it for 30 days. Be a tea tiller for 30 days. If you are pining for a beer, if you think I'm gonna die if I don't have a pint, you're probably not free to drink. Are we free to engage in social media, TV, and movies? I'm a huge movie fan. I'm sure we're free. How do you know you're free to do that? Well, ask yourself. Would you be willing to give that up to do something to benefit others or to draw near to God? Would you watch that movie... With me. <laughs> I've had asked myself that several times. It was, I, I, you know, we, Sarah and I have had to wrestle through that. You know, When the kids were real little, it was easy to say, you guys can't watch this as a mom and dad movie because maybe it was too violent or too serious of a subject. But as they get older, I think, no, I really don't want you to watch this stuff. Well, then why am I watch that stuff? Am I really free to do that? Is it really good? You're free to spend the money that God gives you any way you want. But here's how you know if you're really free. Have you said, Lord, it's yours. What do you want me to do with it? Can you see where I'm getting in with this? Can you see how how this is not a good thing? I mean, let's be honest. Even as I'm saying, I'm going, oh, man, this is heavy. I'm really going to have to rustle through some things this week again. I'm I'm listening to myself here, and I'd be willing to bet some of you guys are thinking, ah. It's a bit strong. (laughs) Let's be honest, when you hear this stuff, and uh, tell me, I haven't seen anything this outside this book, have I? I mean, seriously, call me up on it if I have. But when we think about this, can you see why we are tempted to kind of think, is there a false teacher who will tell me what I want to hear? Is there a false teacher who will kind of give me permission to fornicate or to get drunk or to watch anything I want whenever I want? Or to use my money for me. (laughs) Do you see what I'm saying? Guys, I'm saying this to you not to put you in bondage, to get you out of bondage. You don't have to be a slave to this. Listen, he who the sun set free is free indeed. You want to walk in freedom? Walk with him. Walk with him.